Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The U.S. Supreme Court has decided two cases that challenged protections of Section 230 of the U.S. Communications Decency Act, and in both cases, the court decided not to touch those protections. In oral arguments for the cases, the court indicated they felt maybe Congress should be the one to do that. Twitter versus Tomna argued that Twitter provided unlawful material support for failing to remove users from its platform. Gonzalez versus Google claimed that a platform, in that case YouTube, should be liable for content it recommended to users. Now, a lot of people misunderstand what Section 230 does and doesn't do, so in this updated episode, I'm going to cover the basics of what it is and what it is not, and what the court did and did not say in these landmark cases. We covered the history and meaning of Section 230 in depth in the episode called About Safe Harbor that came out back in July 2020. So if you want the deep dive, please listen to that. This episode is going to focus on how to properly explain and think about Section 230, no matter what argument you may or may not be trying to make. You might think Section 230 promotes censorship. Maybe you think it protects big tech companies from responsibility. You may think it should be repealed. Those are all reasonable positions to take, but I often hear people argue these sorts of positions from a starting point that's just wrong, and I want to give you the correct starting point from which you can make your argument. So let's start with the folks who say we should just get rid of it. There's a misconception that if we get rid of Section 230, companies would have to take responsibility for the content on their platform, or that they would have to stop censoring, and neither one of those things is assured. Without Section 230, any platform, and it's worth pointing out this applies to a forum you might run on your own website as well as to Facebook, without Section 230, any platform would be seen in the eyes of the law as either a publisher of information or a distributor. A publisher is responsible for what it publishes. A distributor is not responsible for the contents of what it distributes. The easiest way to think about this is brick-and-mortar bookstores. The publisher of the books and the magazines that it sells are responsible for what's inside the books and the magazines. The bookstore is just the distributor. In fact, a 1959 Supreme Court case ruled that a bookstore owner cannot be reasonably expected to know the content of every book it sells. They should only be liable if they know or should have known that selling something was specifically illegal. 
Otherwise, the publisher is liable for what's in the book or the magazine. Let's think about that for a minute. The bookstore can decide what magazines to carry, but it's not deciding what's in the magazine. It isn't allowed to sell magazines that it knows are illegal, but it's not expected to read every word of every magazine to police its content. On the other hand, letters to the editor published inside the magazine are in fact the responsibility of the publisher. Just because a reader wrote the letter doesn't mean the publisher had to print it. It chose to print it. It exercised editorial control. And therefore, it's liable for what the reader wrote because it printed it. The publisher of the content is not protected from liability is what I'm trying to say here. But the bookstore gets protection because it's not exercising editorial control of what's in the books. It's a distributor. All right, we got that publisher, distributor. Let's fast forward to the 1990s. CompuServe and Prodigy are vibrant new parts of the internet where people are talking to each other like never before. It's April 1990. Sinead O'Connor's new song, Nothing Compares to You, written by Prince, tops the Billboard charts. Robert Blanchard has developed Scuttlebutt, a database for TV news and radio gossip. It's a new competitor for a similar service called Rumorville. Rumorville's published over on CompuServe's journalism forum. Scuttlebutt and Rumorville are in stiff competition for the burgeoning online audience that wants TV and radio news industry gossip. Keep in mind, this is five years before the Drudge Report. In the heat of the competition, Rumorville posts three things. Scuttlebutt has been getting info from a backdoor at Rumorville. They're stealing our content. Scuttlebutt's owner, Robert Blanchard, got bounced by WABC. Why wasn't he good enough? And described Scuttlebutt as a scam. That's always a bad move because you can sue someone for calling you a scam. And that's what happened. Scuttlebutt's owner, Cubby, sued Rumorville's parent company and also sued CompuServe as the publisher of Rumorville. But here's the thing. CompuServe did not review Rumorville's content. Once it was uploaded, it was available. CompuServe also didn't get any money from Rumorville. The only money it made was off the subscribers to CompuServe itself, whether they read Rumorville or not. So, in the court case, which was called Cubby Incorporated versus CompuServe, the judge ruled that CompuServe was not a publisher. It was a distributor. It could not reasonably know what was in the thousands of publications it carried on its service. Therefore, like a bookstore, CompuServe was not liable for what was published in Rumorville. Reminder, this is without Section 230. The platform was not exercising control over the content, so it's not liable for what was in it. Close your eyes, make a on to October 1994. Boys to Men is dominating the charts with a long run at number one with I'll Make Love to You. Prodigy's Money Talk message board is still awash in talk about that bond market crisis. And an anonymous user posted that securities investment firm Stratton Oakmont had committed crime and fraud related to a stock IPO. Stratton Oakmont takes exception to what it considers defamation 
and files a lawsuit against Prodigy alleging the company is the publisher of the information. So given what you know so far, you're probably thinking, hey, there's that CompuServe case. Prodigy's in good shape. It didn't publish the comments. The commenter did. Except... It's been a few years, and a few raging internet flame wars have happened, and Prodigy, like many other platforms, has developed some content guidelines for users to follow. It also has board leaders who are charged with enforcing those guidelines, and Prodigy even uses some automated software to screen for offensive language. This is all good community moderation practice, right? Clear set of guidelines, consequences if you violate them, even some automated ways to keep some of the bad stuff from ever showing up. Well, the court looked at that and said, huh, that looks like you're exercising editorial control. You're deciding who gets to post what, what posts stay up, what posts get pulled down. Feels a lot more like letters to the editor than it does the bookstore. And the court wrote, Prodigy's conscious choice to gain the benefits of editorial control has opened it up to a greater liability than CompuServe and other computer networks that make no such choice. In Stratton Oakmont versus Prodigy, the court ruled in favor of Stratton Oakmont. After that case, the law then stood that courts will give you the protection of a distributor as long as you don't moderate. If you moderate the content, you're on the hook for it. So in other words, before Section 230, you could either leave everything up or you'd have to be responsible for everything, meaning you'd have to pre-screen all the posts. Your choice is either zero moderation or prior restraint, a.k.a. a kind of censorship. So Republican Chris Cox and Democrat Ron Wyden both thought this was not an ideal situation. They wrote Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which read, No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. And most information content providers would be commenters, posters, people using the forums. Now, those are the 26 words usually cited as Section 230, and they are the essence of it, but that's just paragraph one of subsection C. There's a second subparagraph of Section C, which is also important. It's called civil liability. It reads, No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be held liable on account of A, any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or availability of material that the provider or user considers to be obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable, whether or not such material is constitutionally protected, or B, any action to take to enable or make available to information content providers or others the technical means to restrict access to material described in paragraph one. All right. Uh, It's a lot of very carefully written legal stuff. But in other words, even if it's protected free speech, the platform can take down content it finds objectionable and not lose its protections from liability for other content. All of this is a long way to say, if the platform didn't create the content, it's not responsible for it, with a few exceptions. 
This is another part of the discussion of Section 230 that gets left out. Section 230 specifically says that this law will have no effect on criminal law, intellectual property law, communications privacy law, or sex trafficking law. So the DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, the one that says you can't circumvent copyright, still has to be followed. You have to respond to copyright takedown notices. All right, back to the Supreme Court cases, Twitter versus Tomna and Gonzalez versus Google. We have to remember that platforms are still responsible for the content they generate. So if Facebook's own staff posts something on Facebook defaming you, Section 230 doesn't protect it. Section 230 only means Facebook is not on the hook for what I post or for what you post. If we don't work for Facebook, that is. So what about recommendations? What about the stuff in my feed that Facebook chose to show me without my input? Facebook didn't create the content, but it did choose to show it to me specifically, not to everybody. That would certainly count as editorial control before Section 230. But Section 230 was put in place specifically to allow a measure of editorial control, removal of posts, without having to take responsibility for all the posts. Also remember that terrorist content qualifies as criminal content, which Section 230 does not protect. So how long can criminal content be up before a platform should have known about it and taken it down? Specific to the case of Tomna versus Twitter, is Twitter aiding and abetting a terrorist when it fails to remove their content? Bearing on both the question of algorithms and criminal content is one more case that tested Section 230 shortly after it became law. This is how we do It's April 25th, 1995. Montel Jordan's This Is How We Do It tops the charts. And someone has posted a message on an AOL bulletin board called Naughty Oklahoma T-Shirts. Describing the sale of shirts featuring offensive and tasteless slogans related to the Oklahoma City bombings, which had happened six days before. The posting listed the phone number of Kenneth Zarin in Seattle, Washington, who had no knowledge of the posting. He then received a high volume of calls, mostly angrily about the post. Some calls were death threats. Zarin called AOL, which said they would remove the post. However... The next day, a new post was made, and new posts were made over the next four days. One of the posts was picked up by a radio announcer at KRXO in Oklahoma City who encouraged listeners to call the number. Zarin required police protection and sued KRXO and, separately, sued AOL. In its decision, the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit wrote, It would be impossible for service providers to screen each of their millions of postings for possible problems. Faced with potential liability for each message republished by their services, interactive computer service providers might choose to severely restrict the number and type of messages posted. Congress considered the weight of the speech interest implicated and chose to immunize service providers to avoid any such restrictive effect. It also wrote that Section 230 
creates a federal immunity to any cause of action that would make service providers liable for information originating with a third-party user of the service. Thus, lawsuits seeking to hold a service provider liable for its exercise of a publisher's traditional editorial function, such as deciding whether to publish, withdraw, postpone, or alter content, are barred. Now, Zarin argued that even if AOL wasn't a publisher, it was a distributor, and under the 1959 case, a distributor would still need to be responsible for speech if it knew it was defamatory. And Zarin argued AOL knew because he called them about it after that first post. The judge, however, said, "Mm, actually, no, AOL is a publisher, not a distributor, plain and simple. And... Section 230 shields them from the liability normally afforded a publisher. So you can't just redefine them as a distributor because it goes better for your case. They're a publisher, and Section 230 protects their publishing. This ended up leaving a stricter protection for a distributor than the 1959 case. Instead of having to take it down once you know about it, internet services were given a broader shield. And that became the principal justification for CDA 230. If the Supreme Court follows that precedent, it might also consider recommendations to be publishing behavior and therefore protected, right? Algorithmic recommendations are protected under that theory. However, that's not exactly what happened. Instead, the court seems to think that algorithmic recommendations are new enough that Section 230 doesn't properly apply to them. Let's get to those cases, finally. During oral arguments for Gonzalez versus Google on February 22nd, 2023, multiple justices indicated they thought Congress should rule on whether algorithmic recommendations should be considered to cause liability or not. Justice Elena Kagan said this was a pre-algorithm statute, and everyone is trying their best to figure out how this statute applies. Every time anyone looks at anything on the internet, there's an algorithm involved. Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson said, To the extent that the question today is, can we be sued for making recommendations, that's just not something the statute was directed to. And Justice Brett Kavanaugh said, Isn't it better to keep it the way it is for us and to put the burden on Congress to change that? And they can consider the implications and make these predictive judgments? Then on May 18th, 2023, the court issued its decision in both cases, both unanimous. In Twitter versus Tomna, the court dismissed the allegations that Twitter violated the U.S. Anti-Terrorism Act by failing to remove posts before a deadly attack. Justice Clarence Thomas wrote the opinion for the unanimous decision, saying that Twitter's failure to police content was not an affirmative act. And he expressed concern that if aiding and abetting liability is taken too far, merchants could become liable for misuse of their goods. He pointed out that email service providers should not be held liable for the contents of email. In fact, he explicitly compared Twitter to email and cell phone providers who aren't culpable for their users' behavior. He used the example of a cell phone service provider not culpable for illegal drug deals made over their phones. And specifically regarding Twitter, he wrote... There are no allegations that defendants treated ISIS any different from anyone else. Rather, defendants' relationship with ISIS and its supporters appears to have been the same as their relationship with their billion-plus other users, arm's length, passive, 
and largely indifferent. And he touched on the main issue from the other case, algorithmic recommendations. He wrote, The algorithms, in this case Twitter's algorithms, appear agnostic as to the nature of the content, matching any content, including ISIS content, with any user who is more likely to view that content. The fact that these algorithms matched some ISIS content with some users thus does not convert defendants' passive assistance into active abetting. In other words, Twitter set a thing in motion and it happened. They didn't do it on purpose. They didn't do it with intention. That all meant they could essentially dodge the entire issue in the other case, Gonzalez versus Google, which had rested more on YouTube being liable for its recommendations. In an unsigned opinion, the court wrote that the liability claims are material identical to those at issue in Twitter. And since we hold that the complaint in that case fails to state a claim for aiding and abetting, it appears to follow that the complaint here likewise fails to state such a claim. And we therefore decline to address the application of Section 230. So the claims in Gonzalez were also dismissed without having to talk about whether Section 230 applied to algorithms at all. In essence, these opinions are saying that if algorithms are not specific to a kind of content, then it doesn't make recommending an affirmative act. And if you want to change that, Congress needs to pass a new law. These two decisions left Section 230 unchanged. In the end, what I want folks to take away is that Section 230 doesn't free a tech platform to do whatever it wants. It frees a platform to choose to moderate and exercise editorial control over the posts of others without having to assume responsibility for the thousands and now millions of posts made every day. It's reasonable to argue that perhaps there are some responsibilities that should be restored to tech platforms through legislation. And I think it's worth pointing out that repealing Section 230 altogether would not necessarily achieve that. So I hope now you have a firmer basis upon which to base your opinion, whatever it is. In other words, I hope you know a little more about Section 230. Know a Little More is researched, written, and hosted by me, Tom Merritt. Editing and production provided by Anthony Lamos in conjunction with Will Saddleberg and Dog and Pony Show Audio. It's issued under a Creative Commons Share Attribution 4.0 International License. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. 
Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Dog and Pony Show Audio. <laughs> 